0: on your friday episode of locked on raptors we conclude our season in review by taking a look at the work of the front office messiah jerry and bobby webster bet big on internal growth and it did not work out but we'll look back beyond just the last calendar year at the state of the raptors front office and we'll do that with vivek jacob of raptors.com let's get to it thanks for hanging oh look like, because when i shot it, i expected to make it so like, i don't shoot
1: trying to miss. you are locked on raptors part of the locked on podcast network
0: What's going on and welcome to another episode of Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Friday, May the 5th, and I have your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now. For nine seasons on various platforms, you can find all of my work over on Twitter at Woodley Sean. If you're still using Twitter, you can also go to Instagram, follow the show at Locked Raptors, and most importantly, jump on into the Locked On Raptors Discord server so you can come hang out. We're talking all sorts of stuff. The level of unhinged going on in the Fake Trade Sickos channel on the Discord, Big V knows he's in there. It is wild. So go and uh, check it out. It's a lot of fun on the Locked On Raptors Discord. Great little community around the show that is much better than being on Twitter all the live long day. Uh, you can also go and support the show by following, subscribing, rating, reviewing for free on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube as always. You can also find us now on SiriusXM, so go get the SiriusXM app and find us there as well. All right. On today's show, we conclude season and review time. Next week, we turn the page, we start looking ahead. We talk more about the coaching search, the draft, all that good stuff. But now we sort of turn the final page in looking back on the 2022-23 season with a look at the front office and the work they did over the last year. But more so, as you should probably evaluate front offices, we're going to take a look back more so over like the last four years since the NBA championship won by the Raptors and this very front office to kind of evaluate how things have gone. And here to do it all is our pal, Vivek Jacob, Big V raptors.com the karaoke prince of toronto uh if you follow him on instagram it is big v how are you man i'm doing great um heck of an intro was not expecting that
2: appreciate it um (laughs) that's just for the
0: real heads who follow you on ig as well like they'll they'll (laughs) know that reference for sure
2: (laughs) yes yes uh yeah man i feel like we haven't chatted in a while so i'm looking forward Uh to it um you know as much as People maybe don't want to talk about this team but we will get right into
0: it man we got no choice baby we are at a deal with uh well the the, the fine folks at locked on to, to do this every day not the devil uh <laughs> <laughs> look there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with this team i think part of what's interesting and fun right now is The lack of clarity, the many different directions they could go, the many different opinions on the directions they should go. It's all really cool and fun um, and like a different kind of flavor of sports fandom after 10 years of being like, yeah, well, they did the right thing again. All right. (laughs) It's it's kind of fun and fresh and new. So we're going to talk about the front office today, Big V. Let's start, shall we, with a look at the last calendar year. I think to sort of evaluate this, you know, the sort of broad strokes of what happened. Front office does not a lot in the offseason. They bring in Otto Porter Jr. That's their big move. They otherwise, you know, they draft Christian Coloco after the Thad Young trade, which happened more than a calendar year, but if you want to weave that in, you can. And then they bet big on internal growth and having the sort of solutions to their problems that existed despite the success in 21-22 kind of getting solved internally by Scotty Barnes getting better. Precious Achua, notably, I think probably the biggest developmental stagnation case that really held up this whole internal growth plan for the front office. And then you could argue they waited too long to address the biggest glaring need, which was the need for an actual center. Um, you know, the early season signs with Christian Coloco on the floor suggested, oh, you put a real rim protector on this team, and they're going to be pretty awesome on defense in particular. Uh, and it took them until the deadline to get Jakob Pertle. Multiple f- factors there, of course, you can't just make a trade because you want to make a trade. Two sides got to play a ball. The Spurs probably were incentivized to wait for the best offer. Uh, but ultimately, they kind of came off their original asking price that was reported of two first round picks. So good on the Raptors for waiting, I guess. But All told, they make that move. It's 26 games left in the season. They're definitely better after the deadline. They lose in the plane, as we know. Uh, How would you sort of evaluate this last year of maneuvering by the Raptors' front office? You can weave in the sort of Jeff Doughton stuff if you want as well, although I don't necessarily think that's any sort of black mark upon their record Um, in the grand scheme of things. We're talking about two-way guys here and not sort of franchise-altering shifts, but just sort of general impressions the last year or so. Do you have like a letter grade you'd give to the work they did? It's always hard to grade on a one year sort of criteria for a front office. But what are you thinking about as you reflect upon the last calendar year for the Raptors front office?
2: Yeah, I would probably go with, you know, a C, maybe a C minus. Mm. Uh, I think when evaluating this off season, I think part of what you also look at is the Thad Young deal. Yeah, And, you know, we, we, we're always saying, hey, we got to wait to see how the picks play out. And so, you know, you gave up the 20th pick in that deal. You end up with the 33rd pick, right? You get Christian Coloco. Um, but you know, who's to say you, you, you don't end up with, you know, Walker Kessler or, you know, Christian Braun or, you know, someone like sure. that.
0: Who's um, to say they also don't just draft Christian Coloco at 20 though, right? Like,
2: yeah. And then, then that would still be a mistake. If you, yeah, if, you fair. <laughs> if, if you had the 20th pick and you took Coloco over Kessler, that would be a mistake.
0: Um, I guess like, do we know that though? Like Coloco's in like, yes, he wasn't as impactful as Kessler was this year, but the careers are not made on rookie seasons. And no, but Coloco's Kessler got looks a lot like, to like offer. He's going to be phenomenal. Sure. Lots like, of guys look phenomenal as rookies and then it doesn't always pan out. Like, I feel like we don't know yet the sort of like, do I think the Raptors are going to come out as like clear winners in that trade? Probably not, but does it come out as like a 60 40 wash in all likelihood? I kind of think so. Like, I, I think yeah, Colloquial. So we has agree a to shot. disagree. That's fine. Fair. That's enough. my take. I'm giving my Yes. Take. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, I, I think when you look at that deal, that was, um, uh, you know, neither here, neither there in terms of getting that young um, mm-hmm. and really, you know, what did that
0: really do for the team? um and dropped so, well and beads ass in the playoffs i can tell you that yeah
2: <laughs> yeah uh and so i think when you even take in the information that they've given you know with regards to hey you know what's what's the big deal 41 wins 48 wins if it's not you know so then mm-hmm. okay why, why did you pull pull the trigger on a deal like that right sure. um and so i think i i look at that deal and question it um then you know uh you look at The trade deadline um i think they've put more pressure on themselves i don't think anyone's really debating that in in terms of Mm -hmm. writing the needle this off season um and big picture when you look at yaka part of why i was okay with being patient at the center position was because it seemed very clear that they were going to make sure they only spent the money uh, or you know allocated that level uh, of the cap once they knew they were getting exactly the piece that fits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so to have waited all this time post Mark and surge to get Yaka portal and sell that as the absolute perfect fit. Um, I have a tough time buying that yeah. on a team that is so bereft of shooting. Um, uh, and so unless things are going to change going forward, uh, I do look at that and question it as well. And so, you know, yeah, there's positives in like Jeff Doughton. Um, At the end of the day, like Jakob Pertl is a good player. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm not going to go and, you know, give them an F or whatever. uh, On the whole, Um, the team did get better. But I think for all the time that was set aside to figure out what exactly is the type of center that should be playing with a Scotty Barnes and a Pascal and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I don't think they nailed it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the act rate, I think, is worthy of a lot of examination here. And it's tough, right? Because how many centers in the league, attainable centers, so, like, not Jokic, not Embiid, not Bam, like the guys who are core pieces, fundamental parts of good teams, how many centers who fit the bill of sort of the ideal pairing next to Siakam and Barnes, which is probably something similar to what we saw with Serge Ibaka, right? Like, can shoot threes, can be a bit of a role man, uh, spread it out, protect the rim. Like, There's not a lot of guys in the league like that. And so I guess the question is, they were hemorrhaging so bad without a center. Was it worth getting a less than ideal fit just to solve that very clear glaring issue? And I honestly don't know the full answer to that. And I don't think we're going to have a clear sort of evaluation of the act trade probably for like another year. To see how it all kind of fits with a new coach. Do other guys sort of expand? Does the shooting become less of a concern with new guys brought in? Maybe Siakam takes a step from there or gets back to his previous form from a few years back. Um, you know, that, I think, is going to take some time to figure out. But I, I ultimately think, like, there is a world in which the act trade goes down as, like, maybe the worst thing the front office has done. I don't think it will because the cost is not... Like, oh, first round, I don't care about the first round pick. The 2024 draft, by all accounts, seems like it sucks. And so... I'm always going to be on the side of get good players with your draft picks, whether that's drafting good players or trading for good players. I don't really think there's all that much of a tangible difference. I want good players on the basketball team. Jakob Pearl's a good player. The second round picks, those were getting tossed around like candy at the deadline. That's not really a thing I'm worried about. You got off the Kem Birch money, which actually I think is a kind of underrated part of this as well. They, you know, they don't have that, what was it, seven, eight million bucks on the books for next year. So that's good. Um, but there's a world in which The fit issues are so complicated with the lack of shooting that the acquisition of your fifth best player results in you having to trade your best player in Pascal Siakam. And that seems like poor asset management to me. Like, that could really blow up in their faces. I'm not saying it will, but there is an outcome here where it does. And that trade kind of almost looks like Colangelo-esque in its sort of urgency with which it was made and the sort of lack of long-term forethought that went into it um again i'm not as sort of anti the trade as i'm making it sound here in this sort of doomsday scenario but it's undeniably a potential outcome here if they can't massage the fit if they can't sort out the shooting issues as much as i still think like the defense is probably going to go and be very very good next season with yak and if they keep the same guys around the offensive issues are going to be there and You know, it's also a thing like, can they get other guys around Jakob Pertl to augment his lack of shooting and make it so you can survive with having him on the roster and have him not be your only option, as he was in that play-in game? There's a lot that goes into this, but that Yak trade, it's the biggest thing they did this year. It's one of the bigger moves they've really, really ever made, as far as just, like, boldness and assets going out. Um it could really come back and bite them in the ass if it doesn't go well here. Any sort of last lingering thoughts there before we move into sort of a bigger look back on the last few years for this front office?
2: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. That that could be the worst case scenario. Um, I think the one thing we maybe have to balance out mm-hmm. is, you know, Pascal Siakam is the best player on the team, but post-trade, like in terms of impact Mm. portal was probably better than your fifth best player. Right? True. Yeah. Um, And so that moves him up the scale. Um, In terms of Pascal, you know, you could also be in a situation where it is the right time to move on. Mm. And so from that perspective, um, it might work out okay. And that right, and that doomsday scenario isn't quite what it is, right? And um, even with him not if Pascal doesn't make an all NBA team, right, and you get that four years 180, that I think becomes very appealing to those contending teams that uh, are just looking for that one piece to take them over the top, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If they have that one, like number one guy, you're looking at Pascal and saying, hey, this is a guy who knows what it is to be the number two scorer on a championship team um, has gotten even better since that 2019 season. Um, And so uh, I think there could be a situation where you know it just ends up being uh the right time
0: Hmm. yeah i mean i don't know if there's ever a right time to just go trade your best player for assets um i think i would hope it's for like an actual sort of assemblage of players again best player within the context
2: of yeah you know we know he's not a 1a guy you know
0: yeah for sure yeah absolutely We'll uh, continue on here. We're gonna take a look back at the years that led up to this one as well, and and sort of dig into any sort of super damaging moves, things that maybe they've gotten right that they don't get credit for, all that stuff. We'll get to that in just a sec. Before we dive on in, however, must tell you about our friends over at eBay Motors. And look, just like uh, with a championship team, it's all about making every player a perfect fit. It's the exact same thing when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors with the eBay guaranteed fit. You can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around, just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green, track, green check to know the part will fit, or your money back, Just. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, Big V, back Jacob Belong. Uh, thank you, as always, to the everyday listeners of the show for popping in each and every day throughout the week. You're the best. If you are an everyday listener, let us know in the comments, just so we know. Um, it, it's nice to see those little shout-outs. And uh, put names and YouTube handles to the faces, not the faces, the people who, who subscribe I don't know. Thanks for listening every day, okay? I'm. Uh, my brain is goo today. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> Let's take a look back, shall we? The last four years since the title. I think there's this impression that the Raptors have allowed this sort of massive talent drain since 2019. And part of it's fair. You know, I think they're lining up for potentially the cap space to go after Giannis Antetokounmpo. Certainly, that didn't pay off. That that left them kind of... Late in the market that year, and as a result, they lost Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. Turns out, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol didn't do a ton on the teams they ended up going to. I guess Gasol was on that title Lakers team um, as a bit contributor. Ibaka never reached the height he reached with, reached with the Raptors again. You lose those guys, it stinks. It was, would have been nice to have them there for the vibes in Tampa, but I also don't begrudge them for not wanting to be in Tampa, and I don't think the Raptors, on the whole, were all that much worse off with those guys leaving and they would have been, and then they were like signing Aaron Baines, for example, like Baines was awful, but that season was going to be a nightmare train wreck. Anyway, I think um, it was kind of headed towards that, you know, there's other stuff, um, you know, the trading of draft picks. They've, they've done that plenty. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Thad deal, all that, like sort of looking back at the last four years, What's your sort of impression of how they've handled things since the title? This is always a difficult thing. We talked about this, the everydayers will know. We talked about this with Howard Beck on Tuesday. Um, The sort of difficulty of figuring out what to do after you scale the mountain and you're trying to figure out how to navigate the downturn of it. And Stay in the range and and, you know stay up high in that altitude, but it's really hard to do Sometimes you just veer right off the side of the cliff back down to base camp And that's kind of sort of what the Raptors have done a little bit here. Maybe not so extreme Um, But yeah, like how would you assess the way they've managed things since the title and sort of how much of their current situation is tied to previously damaging moves and how much of it is just like Some of this stuff you can't control and it's kind of out of your hands
2: yeah so in terms of the stuff you can't control right off the top Kawhi leonard danny green like yeah you everything you could control you did right you literally Mm -hmm. won the championship showed (laughs) (laughs) everything you needed to show on the court to convince Kawhi uh that this was the place to be you had every type of offer on the table for him one-year deal five-year deal whatever you want Mm -hmm. you know um and he elected to move on and you know the raptors didn't have uh, the cap room to sort of maneuver themselves out of that. Um, obviously Danny green moves on as well, wins the title with the Lakers. Um, and then you go into that season and you do extremely well, right? Like Mm -hmm. even with the way, uh, you know, the pandemic impacted, uh, not only not having home court, but also, you know, we saw the effects on Pascal. Um, you still were a shot away from the East finals, Mm -hmm. right? So it's hard to really have complaints about that season. And then you are one of 30 teams that gets relocated. And now you have to go into negotiations with free agents, pending free agents, uh, the off season, all of that. With that situation, that's not an appealing situation for anyone to deal with. No. And I guarantee you, if the Raptors were still in Toronto that season, one of Mark or Serge would have been back. Yeah. And um, yeah, we, we can talk about, you know, how much they would have contributed and what level they would have dropped to. But that also would have helped in the transition mm-hmm. uh, in that center position, at least. And so um, I don't really have much to criticize uh, with the 2020 offseason. That was just an impossible hand that they were dealt taking
0: um, Malachi Flynn over Desmond Bain we could
2: (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely you you criticize you know even heck at at this point you rather have Tillman than Flint right so I mean I was calling for
0: Tillman draft night baby I was a Tillman hive over here
2: yeah (laughs) um and so uh, I think all of that uh, that part can be criticized um but also there were things that impacted their ability to draft right like sure again like not being able to bring people into ovo uh, and work out these rookies right and like just trying to go off whatever you had at the time and so that competitive advantage that they've had in that regard was taken away and you know you, you can fail you can criticize them for failing with the circumstances dealt but it is what it is right mm-hmm. um and so <coughs> sorry All good uh yeah so you look at the situation after that, then you draft Scotty Barnes. I don't think anyone's complaining about that. Uh, you look at um, this past offseason. Now there are more things to criticize, right? And so uh, on the whole, I think the majority of it comes down to that center position. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think probably as a whole, they have um, been so hellbent on that six eight six nine prototype that the experiment the vision all of that has got them into this predicament now
0: i'm glad you brought that up because i think that there's two sort of small undercurrent things not big flashy acquisitions or transactions that i think are kind of the the two things i take the most issue with one is the sort of boxing themselves in with we're gonna have all these guys who are the same size we're gonna play these weirdo lineups and it left them being not versatile at all, like not having alternate styles of play, which I think we saw during their championship run, that might be the single most important thing to have in order to get through four rounds in the playoffs, is you have different looks. You can mix and match and tinker based on the opponent and the matchups and what's working and what's not. And they had a deep well of guys they could go to in different looks, big lineups, small lineups, in between lineups galore. They didn't have that the last couple of seasons. They didn't have that this year. They didn't have it in the even the successful forty-eight win season the year prior. It was kind of just like we got this one size fits all freak style, and it caught teams more off guard last year than it did this this past season. And I think that the sort of roster issues are very much tied to targeting players of that size and build, and not targeting enough hard skills like things that are that's a translatable NBA skill. That someone can apply. We talked about this yesterday with Delano Banton. Draft a 6'9 long weirdo all you want. He doesn't have role player skills. He doesn't have a single NBA skill outside of running fast in transition that really pops off the screen as the thing that's going to make him an NBA player. And when you're drafting late in the draft, when you are picking up undrafted free agents and working on the margins like this, I think you got to try to find guys with one skill that can make them NBA players. Sam Hauser, for example, like those sort of under the radar um, pickups that these teams make, you know, that have those sort of single skills that can make them like Caleb Martin, very good wing defender. Boom, there's he's a good player. You can turn him into something when you add a three to that. Like you got to take those individual skills, and they haven't targeted skill enough. They've targeted build too much. I think the other part that's kind of led to led them a little bit down this sort of it's not even a bad direction necessarily, it's just an uncomfortable one, is all these player options they just hand out like candy, right? Like it's the Gary Trent Jr. player option. Why is that there? How much did his pending free agency play into all the, the stuff going on this season? Um, You know, same, Fred VanVleet has a player option. Like, you know, obviously you're Toronto. You got to try to... You know, this sort of argument in favor of these player options you're trying to curry favor with players and agents and all that stuff and this is player friendly stuff to be doing they have a long history of taking care of their own guys and all that and maybe this is just a new form of that creating flexibility to go earn more money down the line but it certainly has sort of cut the runway on this team and it seems like every year there's a new contract you got to sort out because it's a year earlier coming into play because of the player option situation so those two things combined i think are the sort of biggest things to take issue with there's not one move that necessarily stands out as, oh my god, what a disaster. This is all falling apart because of that. I think it's just sort of general philosophy stuff that can change. <laughs> like the, the, I I have a lot of belief that they'll look back on the way things have gone the last couple of years and say, you know what? That hasn't worked. Well, let's pivot. They've been a franchise that's pivoted in the past. So I think they have the capacity to pull that off. Um any last thoughts here before I I want to get in the last segment into Scotty Barnes, because I feel like That is underplayed as like a thing they've nailed but is there any other stuff that they haven't nailed that comes to mind any sort of other underlying issues sort of what those things one of those thousand cuts that it seems like the team has kind of been hurt by over the last little while instead of one big thing um
2: i mean if you want to look around the margins you could criticize uh you know letting go of brissette at the wrong time um you know can you though
0: he's like a 38 percent field goal shooter who doesn't shoot threes and plays like 11 minutes a game on a bad team that has no forwards
2: and what's, what's Paul Watson doing right now nothing like that, yeah that's that's the choice they made right sure um and you you could argue that you let go of Watanabe at the inopportune time as well um mm-hmm. like I said around the margins that's that, mm-hmm. that's all um that's really left to criticize outside of what we have already um And, yeah, beyond that, uh, I don't really think there's much. Uh, Yeah. uh, Well, I guess, you know, we can get into uh, the use of the mid-level on Otto Porter Jr. And, uh, you know, you you look at maybe some of the other options. Um, You know, I I know everyone says that Malik Monk was headed to the Kings uh, anyway, no matter what. But, you know, I, I think, you know, what if you threw, like, the whole bag at him? Right. Hmm. Like I, he didn't, he signed for well below the mid level, uh, with sack. And, uh, you look at another guy like Dante Di Vincenzo. Hmm. What, what if you gave him the whole bag? And again, that's another guy that would have been pretty serviceable to the Raptors. Right. Um, yeah, definitely more so than Otto <laughs> at this point.
0: The counter to that is, you look back to last offseason when they made the signing, and I think it was universally praised as, oh my god, this fit is unbelievable. Like, what a Raptors player. And yes, he has an injury history. I don't think you accounted for him playing eight games. Like, I think you probably went insane. He probably played like 55, and that's where Otto Porter is now, and that's fine. Uh, I don't know how much you can blame the front office for him dislocating his toe and having it ruin his season. Like, And even it goes back to like Aaron Baines. When Aaron Baines was signed... That deal was, like, pretty universally praised as well because he was coming off an awesome year with Phoenix. Great sort of close to the year for him. And everyone's like, oh, this is perfect. Like, it's not ideal. You lose your centers. But, like, as far as stopgap guys go, Aaron Baines is perfectly fine. And then it just didn't work out. And so I have a hard time getting too critical of mid-level stuff because I feel like it's always a 50-50 proposition. There's a reason players are available for the mid-level exception. It's because their other, other teams were like, yeah, we're good like it's always kind of a flawed market. And so I think the process on those signings was perfectly sound. Yeah. Malik Monk would have been nice. I don't know if that was attainable or realistic. Sure. would have been awesome to have him on the team. I'll give you that for damn sure. But I just think the mid-level game is so dubious and fraught with blow up potential anyway, that that's not a thing that I look at as like a reason they're in their current predicament necessarily. But you're right. Like lots of stuff on the margins just hasn't gone their way of late we're going to come back on the other side i want to talk about scotty barnes to close and just the idea that it's not as bad as it seems i guess we'll get to that in just one sec before we do that however locked on leafs go check them out the leafs down 0-2 not so good feeling not great but mike and dave over on locked on leafs do a great job of making it all make sense so go check them out over on locked on leafs wherever you get your podcast each and every day
1: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
0: Alright, Big V. Scotty Barnes. Do the Raptors get enough credit for nailing that pick? Because it kind of seems like they nailed that pick, and it's just sort of glossed over in the ah, with the front office. Like they're they're screwing up bad. They've lost their fastball. Like, for two years, less than two years on the calendar since that pick was made. Everyone. And their mom was Jalen Suggs, Jalen Suggs, give the baton from Kyle Lowry to Jalen Suggs. They don't take Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs has been actively bad in his first two seasons. He said flashes here and there. Obviously, he still has a chance to be a good player. Always applies to a, a very young second-year player. But, like, seems pretty clear. They did all right with the Scotty Barnes pick since the 21 draft. He is second among that draft class in win shares behind only Evan Mobley. Trey Murphy is third. Um, I think if the Raptors had swung for Trey Murphy Murphy at four, everyone would have melted down and lost their minds, probably. Um, You know, Franz Wagner looks very good. I kind of think the upside on Scotty still remains much higher than Franz Wagner. Franz is going to be a very good player on good teams for a long time. Scotty he could be a great player. Um, you know, I'm not looking at anyone in that draft class who I'm like, damn, I really wish the Raptors took them at four. And that feels like kind of the most important decision they've made in the last four years. And they crushed it, it seems. Am I overstating how well they nailed that pick? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that maybe they should get a little bit more credit for as a very good thing that has set the direction of the franchise in a much better direction than it would have been had they drafted Jalen Suggs, uh, you know, with all of the sort of limitations that I think were pretty clear in his game and were widely regarded upon, like, remarked upon before the draft ever even happened. Um, Yeah, like, they did pretty good with this, no?
2: (laughs) Yeah, but I don't don't know um, that I've seen anything that suggests that the front office doesn't get credit for the pick. Like, I, I guess I just I think when yeah. you look at the fact that uh, like pretty much, you, you know, most of the fan base is like, Hey, give the keys to Scotty. You know, he's amazing. This and that. <laughs> Fair. And last year there <laughs> were a whole bunch of apologies saying, Oh, okay. Sorry for doubting Masai and Bobby. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, we saw a lot of that, you know, as Scotty uh, got going. And so I don't know if they don't get credit. I, I think it's just like looking at the overall, situation right now like four years post championship and saying we don't know the direction of this team
0: Hmm. yeah i mean the direction is a scotty barnes driven direction i think like that's sort of i think it's got to be what it is right like if he doesn't develop into the guy they hope he can be that everything is kind of lost and screwed anyway um but yeah i i guess the way what i'm trying to say is it feels as though the, the nailing the Scotty Barnes pick, which I think they nailed it. Like, I think that's a fair thing to say. Yeah. That is maybe not given as much consideration as the missteps or the perceived missteps over the last few years. And when sort of taking the whole picture of the front office, like it's really hard to do what they're trying to do, which is stay good and relevant after winning a championship and all the stuff you have to do to get into that spot, the way you have to sell your future. The fact that they didn't have to sell their future to, to kind of win that title in a super like they didn't they don't all their picks aren't owed by some team uh in the interest of winning the title or anything like that like they obviously got super lucky with the kawaii circumstance and all that but like i just it doesn't feel like it's as bad as it actually feels or is sort of thought about right now right like the whole state of the franchise like. i, I I guess I'm having a hard time differentiating the Raptors between any other team that's just kind of stuck in this sort of middle of the league, which as we talked about earlier this week with Howard, it's like 75% of the teams. Like, they're not special in their struggle. Everyone's kind of going through this similar, how do we take the next step from this spot to the upper crust of the league? And I think drafting Scotty Barnes gives the Raptors as viable an avenue to that as any of these other sort of middle-class teams. And so... Maybe it's not all that bad. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making a straw man here, <laughs> but uh, that wouldn't be the first time, I suppose. But it, it just, it feels as though the sort of, the tension between like the fan base and the team and the sort of lack of trust. It does feel like there's a lack of trust compared to what it used to be. There's no longer the trust in Masai, right? Like I, I feel like that's kind of wavered and maybe it shouldn't have because the time that you most had to trust in what the front office was doing, nailing the 4th overall pick after a stroke of lottery luck, they crushed it. And so I can forgive some of the other smaller missteps along the way, I suppose. They got the big picture, biggest thing right. That's kind of where I'm at, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think
2: it's it's fair to say that like some trust has been lost because mm-hmm. of, you know, the current standing. Uh I think it's fair to say that, you know, they've got the biggest big picture move, right? Um, but I also think a lot of the doubt and uncertainty is going to come down to this offseason, and 100%. And, and yeah, well, once there's sort of that clear clarity that comes in, um, starting with hiring a head coach, mm-hmm. um, then I think some of that will ease up if, if they do get things right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that. Uh, the other part of it too is just this becoming a, an organization, and you know, in some on some level, Masai and Bobby becoming victims of their own success, right? Mm-hmm. Like over the last decade, you have averaged fifty-one wins in the regular yep. season, right? Um, like I wrote about this, the decade before Masai, they had <laughs> they had three total <laughs> playoff wins. Yeah. And over the past decade, this team's had 46 playoff wins and Mm -hmm. um, a championship. Uh, And so I think um, the expectations have just changed. It's to a lot of people, it's no longer okay to just be, uh, you know, I I think you literally have to be a home court advantage team Hmm. for the fan base to be like, okay, the ship is right. Right. Which. You can say is unfair, but also that's kind of like the standard. That's fandom, stuff.
0: baby, yeah. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, expectations are the underrated thing in all of fandom. They are the thing that drives our feelings more than anything else. And uh, you're right. There, there is a standard they've set. Like, what's your level of like optimism that they can pull themselves out of this sort of bind they're in right now? Obviously, you mentioned like the off season. This is so important. They have to nail this. I think a reason there's a lack of certainty and trust and belief is the just sort of unknown, right? No one likes unknown. No one likes to have lingering things sort of to resolve. I hate it when I have like a bill I have to pay that I haven't paid yet. It sucks. Like this is a lot of different things, a lot of paperwork and admin hanging over their heads with a very short window to get it all right and no, I think, clear, direct, correct answer of what to do either. So it's going to be very much on them to... You know, it's not like it's a telegraph thing where it's like, yes, you just trade Pascal and everything's fine. Like, no, that could be a disaster. Um, So I I think that's part of it is just the uncertainty from the outside. When you don't have outside certainty of exactly what the plan is, it's a little easier to doubt what's going on. Um, But like, are you still kind of on the board of they'll figure it out? Like, they have a pretty good track record here? Or are there sort of trends in their decision making of late that leaves you feeling a little bit more unsure of whether they can pull themselves out of this bind?
2: I probably, you know, shade towards being a bit unsure. Okay, I I think, uh, you know, on the whole, four years is enough of a cushion Mm. to give a front office. Um, And so I think on the whole, I look at this team now, and I say that there are decisions that they've kind of pushed towards the very last like moment that they can make Mm -hmm. them like Mm -hmm. the yacht trade for example and getting a center in and then they didn't nail it right yeah um and so now you've pushed this off season pushed all your chips into this off season um and so will you get it right i would not be surprised at all if they view the coaching change as the major change this season and saying hey we believe in this roster and we believe a different coach would get different results and Mm -hmm. so we're gonna resign fred and yuck and maybe gary um and you know we're gonna run it back and we're gonna see what that looks like and then we're gonna make a decision next off season Mm -hmm. and so now that's another year where in my opinion i i'm pretty confident in terms of what the ceiling of this group is with Mm -hmm. this limited shooting um and so to go through another season of just kind of feeling like i know what to expect and then to get there a year later and then potentially not like that like that all of that is like in my you know increased uncertainty uh over where this front office is at
0: yeah i mean you kick the can down the road long enough eventually the road's gonna go off the cliff <laughs> um <laughs> Some roads, I suppose, not all roads <laughs> lead to cliffs, but maybe they do. Um, yeah, I, I think I value their patience still. Like I, I have always thought that that's like the most slept-on, underrated thing any front office and any sport can have is patience and an understanding that it's not all going to get fixed at once. Which is why I was honestly a little surprised that they pulled the Yak trade when they did. Um, just because it was so late in the game in that season. And I'm glad ultimately we got to watch some fun ball down the stretch. That's a big thing. And part of that's this too. part of
2: why when the Yacht trade happened, I thought for sure there would be more coming to follow the yeah. day. Yeah. I was like, okay, this if, if you're doing this now, like in my head, I was like, okay, there's more coming. There's no way like this is the only mm-hmm. one. And then it ended up being the only one.
0: Yeah. Um and I, look, I think it's I don't think it's like some awful decision to wait another year, but the difference between making all your sweeping decisions a year from now versus right now is you'll actually have guys under control yeah. and you'll be able to trade them and teams will have cost certainty. They'll be signed on deals signed this summer. And as the cap goes up, the deals signed this summer, I think are going to age really nicely, honestly, and, and will be movable as you go forward. Um, you know, barring this whole local sports <laughs> network thing, not uh, totally cratering league, re- league related revenue, but um you know, I, I think they'll figure their way around that. They've got gambling money. they got new TV deals, all this stuff. Like, that. They'll, they'll the cap's going up. And so I think, you know, if they get to this point, if they lock in other guys this offseason season and they're like, all right, we're going to kick it down one more year. And then a year from now, they're like, what if we kick the can another year? Then I think like, okay, enough kicking. All right, like, let's just figure this thing out. You've got all these guys signed. Let's go and make a an actual sort of decision on this core. But right now... I think the best option probably is to just run it back and see what you got with guys under contract. And maybe the new coach is what changes this whole thing. And it revolutionizes the team. You get Christian Coloco a year further along. He's giving you real minutes off the bench. Maybe you flip Boucher for an effective bench guard or wing. Um, you have your 13th overall pick. Maybe you get someone who can contribute-ish right away. You're not going to get someone who's be going to be a positive player necessarily right away. But Plenty of good players have been drafted, 11, 12, 13, 14 in the draft of late. Jalen Williams, uh, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, going down the list. There's always good players in that range. Um, you know, it depends on the quality of the draft class, et cetera. But, like, they stand a good chance of getting a real contributor at 13. And then from there, I think you have enough stuff to, in theory, support a more effective team next year, a better environment to actually kind of know what you have, if that right. makes sense. And then you'll be able to make a more sort of informed decision a year from now. I know no one wants to hear it like waiting a year to make all these calls, but they've kind of put themselves in a spot where what else are they supposed to do? Yes, there are sign and trades out there, but it's hard to find sign and trades. Yeah. Like two wrongs. Don't make a right. Yeah. So it's like, you
2: can't lose them for nothing. Exactly. So yeah, I think the, I think the easiest way to sum up how I feel is in terms of showing like my confidence level in the front office. Mm -hmm. And you know, the uncertainty is like if this were another front office, with Mm. the list of moves that they've made in the last like three, four years. Mm. Um, I would be far more (laughs) nervous. Sure. So the fact that I'm only shading towards like a bit of uh, uncertainty, Mm -hmm. um, I think is a credit to the front office because I think if, if, if you were to just list out all the moves and say, Hey, put, you know, the Charlotte front office or wh- whoever you want in there. Right. Mm-hmm. I would be like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd quite go that far just because I don't actually think the situations as bad as it's sort of painted to be just in general. But Yeah, it hasn't been their best work of late, and it'd be nice if they could kind of get back to their old wisdom of winning every single trade hilariously and laughing and pointing at the teams they fleece. Uh, What a sweet time that was, man. We'll leave it there for now. We kind of covered a lot here. I don't know if anyone got anything out of this. This was uh, wide-ranging. I don't think we were talking about anything anyone didn't know, but I think it was nice to just kind of have a bit of a therapy session. Round up the season. <laughs> One last look at all that went wrong before we set our sights on the future and the draft and all that stuff beginning next week. You'll be along next week, Big V, as you always are. Anything you want to promote for the good people out there?
2: Usual stuff, Raptors.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at VivekMJacob. Thanks for having me again.
0: Of course, buddy. Always welcome. You always make the show better and handsomer. Uh, It's great. Next week, by the way, Tuesday, Krina Mustafa, our wonderful pal from over at, uh, I mean, everywhere these days. Uh, enjoy basketball, uh, homestand. It's all, it's, she's. everything's coming up Krina. She's going to be on the show Tuesday. We're going to talk about Becky Hammond a little bit. And of course, next Saturday, WNBA in Canada. Oh my God, going to be awesome. I'll be there. I'm super excited. Uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit and potentially Toronto expansion in the WNBA as well. So that's Tuesday. Um, then we'll plot out the rest of the week as we go. I'm sure we'll get our pal Ralph fail barlow in at some point soon to talk draft guys and uh please join the lockdown raptors discord it's in the description the link please jump on in there would love to see the fine folks in there talking ball talking zelda tears of the kingdom boy oh boy very excited for that game uh week today baby week today and then no one's ever gonna see me for five months uh <laughs> we'll leave it there thank you so much for tuning in making us your first listen and uh again thanks as always to the everydayers we'll talk to you again on monday have yourself a wonderful weekend thanks for hanging